Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, to those of you who don't know me, my name is Cam Thompson. I'm an elder here at uh, Coram Dale. Uh, Pastor Rory, um, his schedule has been very full these last couple of weeks, so so I'm filling in. Um, we've been working through Genesis. Genesis 1 to 11 for a while now. A couple of years, actually. We looked at creation. We looked at the pre-flood world, and we, we looked at the flood. But today, we come to the dispersion of peoples after the flood in Genesis 9, 10, and 11. There's a huge debate today over the evolutionary view of history of mankind versus the biblical view of history. Anthropology is a study of man and is usually extremely biased towards the evolutionary view. But today, we'll look at the biblical view of world history. And I believe we'll see that the evidence strongly supports the biblical view rather than the evolutionary view. The evolutionary view states that man evolved about two to three million years ago as a brutish creature and evolved through many other brutish forms to finally become what we are today. But what do we actually see in the archaeological digs? And more importantly, what does the Bible say? Archaeology shows us that advanced civilizations appeared pretty much together around 4,500 years ago, which would favor the biblical account. We see the Sumerians, the Egyptians, um, Media, Persia, and the Indus Valley, which is India, along what is known as the Fertile Crescent. But why all of a sudden? Why did cultures and civilizations appear all of a sudden? To answer that, we need to look at what the Bible says about the dispersion after the flood. We will look at Genesis 9, 10, and 11 in two messages. The first will be the beginnings of the migration and the Tower of Babel. And the second will be the covenant given to Noah and the migration of the people led by God's sovereign will to what we have today. Genesis 10 begins with the sons of Noah. As we will be in Genesis 10, so we can, we can turn there. But it begins, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And if we look, if we look back into Genesis 9, 18, we, we see here the sons of Noah went forth from the, the 
who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These people were the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So we know here that through the, the, by these sons and their, and their descendants, the whole earth, what we have today, and we're going to look and we're going to see in the next couple of messages that this is actually what happened because history actually shows us a pretty good, uh, in fact, a very good record of exactly what did happen, not some evolutionary foolishness about millions of years, but actually what did happen. Also in, in Genesis 10, we see that these groups dispersed out as languages and nations. Genesis 2 and Genesis 5 shows Japheth and the languages by clan. Genesis 20 says these are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages, their, lang their lands and their nations. And then Genesis 31 shows the sons of Shem by languages and clans. So, so we see languages and clans, but, but if we go another chapter to Genesis 11, we, we actually see that it states in Genesis 11, 1, now the whole earth had one language, and the same words. So by Genesis 11 here, we're seeing one language, but this is actually common in literature. And it's common in the Bible too, where something is presented and then later it's explained in more detail. Um, so this Tower of Babel we're gonna look at today is um, where they had one language is actually is actually just in detail of what happened before the dispersion happened. In, G in Genesis 10, we see a character named Nimrod. So it says Genesis Genesis 10:8. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. So, so we see a mighty man. And in Genesis 10.10, 10, we look and we see that the beginning of his kingdom was, was Babel in the land of Shinar. This is the same area where Daniel was taken and we see that Babel obviously became Babylon because the land of Shinar is very similar. But, but Genesis 11 goes directly to a people and we'll read it, Genesis 11, 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. 
And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth, of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord, that's where the, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. This passage on the Tower of Babel has so much in it that it's going to take some time to go through it. But to do that, we first need to go back to, to Genesis 10 and look where this started. We have already seen that Nimrod founded Babel. But what does the Bible say about Nimrod? The Hebrew root of Nimrod means rebel or to rebel. And in Genesis 10, 8, we've already seen that he was mighty. So here we have a character who is rebellious and mighty. And, but in Isaiah 66, 2, God gives us a look at who the Lord will look upon in favor. And he says in Genesis 60, or sorry, Isaiah 66, 2, but this is the one on whom I will look who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So God does not look with favor upon someone who is rebellious and mighty. God looks at someone with favor who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at his word. And, and we see this played out in Babel. The people of Babel were under the leading of Nimrod, not under the leading of God. And we'll see as we, as we go through this passage exactly what was happening here. The first thing they wanted to do was they wanted to build a tower to heaven. That's Genesis. We're going back to uh, Genesis 11 now.
Genesis 11:4. It says, um, "They said, 'Come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves.'" So they weren't interested in, in they weren't interested in serving God. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to build a tower to heaven. Uh, we also see their culture by this time was quite advanced. They had a, a kiln-fired brick industry. Um, it shows that they used uh, kiln-fired bricks and, um, and bitumen for mortar. So they were quite advanced. But part of making a name for themselves was a desire to be able to work their way to heaven. They wanted to build a tower that would reach to heaven apart from God's will because they were not in God's will. The Bible clearly shows us that through Christ is the only way to heaven, not through our own means. We see one picture of this in Genesis 28, 10 to 13. It's about Jacob, and it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. So we see here a ladder to heaven. And I'd like you to turn with me to John 1, 45 to 51. Because in that we see what this actually means. Jesus, when he's um, choosing some disciples here, came across Nathaniel, and it says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to them, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here we see Jesus <coughs> linking this vision that Jacob had of the ladder to heaven. The ladder is actually Jesus. The ladder is Christ. And so when we go back to, to Babel, we see that 
that's not the ladder they were using to get to heaven. It was not Christ. It was their own works. So Babel is actually a type of antichrist. The word anti in Greek means um, in place of or instead of. <clears throat> and these people were setting themselves up in place of Christ. They were going to they were going to work their way to heaven on their own terms apart from God's will. The next thing we see in Babel is that they did not want to be dispersed over the whole earth. Genesis 11.4 11, um, they felt they would um, they would lose their power. They 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 wanted to stay in one place. Even though this is a direct, indirect rebellion against God's command as part of the covenant, and we'll look at that next week more about the covenant God made with Noah. But but in it, and it's in Genesis 9, um, yes, it begins in Genesis 9, 1 and 9, 7. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then in 9.7 it says, And you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply upon it. So the command that God gave them as they left the ark was not to, to stay in one place. It was actually to go and fill the earth. And they're in uh, direct opposition of that. In fact, they even say that, that um, it says, um, let us build a city with its tower, that's beginning in 4, in 11.4, with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. So they wanted to make a name for themselves. They did not want to be dispersed over the whole earth because they would lose their power. So again, this is a direct opposition to God. And, and, and we just see that time and time again here in this city called Babel, just leading, being led by bad leadership. And then we look at Genesis 11, 5 and 6. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do now will be impossible for them. So, so God knew there was issues here. There was big problems. And he also knew that with one language and, and bad leadership, that this would quickly spiral out of control. So he had to intervene. Divine intervention. We also see this intervention on a global level leading up to Christ's return in, 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 the, in the days that he speaks, which are leading to it. Matthew 24, 22. 
And um, again, he's speaking about the world that exists just prior to his coming, his return. He says, For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now and and no and till now and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. So we're going to see a time when God is going to intervene again because the evil that can take place quickly spirals out of control. And again, here's two times where God came and intervened. In this, we also see God's sovereignty, God's divine sovereignty over all the nations. And we see that in many Bible verses. God is sovereign over the affairs of man. God is sovereign over nations. And God's will will be done. I just want to read quickly again in Acts 17, because we did read it earlier, but I just want to read just the passage that pertains to that. And it's Acts, 7, yeah, Acts 17, 24 to 26. It says, um, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as we needed anything, since he himself gives to all nations life and breath and everything. So all life, all breath comes from God. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Did you know that you're not here in Grand Prairie by accident? <laughs> it's God's sovereign will. God determines our days, how long we're going to live, and God determines our boundaries, where we're going to live. So we think we're in control, but and God does give us lots of control, but there's a guiding force called God's will that is moving the world in exactly where he wants it to go at exactly the right time he wants it to go there. We're going to look at another passage, Deuteronomy 32.8. It says... When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of its peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So again, he divided mankind. God divides mankind exactly the way he wants it. And he gives nations their inheritance. He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. So there's God's sovereignty again in the nations. People think that they build kingdoms and they control their kingdoms, but they don't. God builds kingdoms. He gives kingdoms and he takes kingdoms away. 
another last one on God's sovereignty. I just want you to turn to Job 12. Job 12, 23 to 25. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth. He makes them wander in trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light. And he makes them stagger like drunk, like a drunken man. So this is exactly what God did in Babel. And we'll see that as we look at the nations, how they, they lost their ability to communicate for a time. Because there were languages after that. But this is exactly what he did. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in trackless wastes. And he does that in his sovereign will. And we see this here at Babel. And so what happened? We look at Genesis 11 again. I've got you jumping all around the Bible today, but that's okay. Genesis 11, 7 to 9. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. So this city that was going to take the place of Christ, this city that was going <clears> to <throat> be built and reach heaven, they left off building it because God determined that this was not going to happen at that time. So, and, and they dispersed over the face of the earth. They did not want to. But this was God's plan to disperse the nations. And next week, uh, it won't be next week, but the next time I come and bring the sermon, it'll be on... Um, on how God did this. And, and there's a lot in there too. But there's just too much for one sermon. So, so that's going to be the next time how God did this. How God created each individual nation. We're going to see that he created it for a specific purpose. And we're going to see that exist to this day. <clears throat> so in closing... What can we learn from the mistakes that were made in Babel? Because it, it, had, it was out of control. God had to come and intervene. And I, I submit to you today that the same is happening in our world again today. And God is going to intervene. But can we learn from some of these mistakes that were made in Babel? And, and I would say the first is that we need to be careful not to blindly follow after a leader who seems to be strong in word and in deed, but maybe hostile to God. 
people are screaming for leadership. People are crying out for a leader. But we have to be very discerning because we can see a leader like Nimrod can lead people astray. We have to be very, very careful on who we follow. A movement had developed in Babel that was in direct opposition to God. And a movement can develop in our own world today following a false leader that is in direct opposition to God. So I would say that is one place where we can learn from mistakes of the past and hopefully not repeat them. Unfortunately, human nature tends to repeat them when they don't listen to God, <clears throat> which unfortunately is probably many people in the world today. <clears throat> An example may be how social media led by a small group can control the thoughts of millions. And we see that in, uh, in social media. It is, uh, it's actually scary. The, we, um, a few people, big tech, can control the thoughts of the world. And it's almost like they control it like it's an organism. And we have to be careful of that because that is dangerous when we're controlled by something other than God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us how to avoid this. In... Um, in Genesis 12, um, or sorry, Romans, um, I'm actually going to read the first, uh, yeah, I'll read the first two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world wants to conform you to its image. And many people are being conformed to this. But the Bible warns us, do not be conformed to the image of this world. God wants to transform you by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of your mind is God's word. We read the word of God and we come to the Lord in prayer we come in repentance we come humble and we come with contrite hearts and we tremble at his word and you'll never go wrong
you will not be conformed to a false image if you're doing that. God's word and God's will for it is good and acceptable and perfect. Is that what we desire? Because if you don't desire that, you're going to fall for lies. If you're not seeking God, then we're seeking something else. And we're on dangerous ground. Another thing we see in Babel is that people did not want to go anywhere. They wanted to live in a comfort zone. And I think, sadly, we do that today as well. We, we get in our comfort zone, and we want to stay there. But really, as we begin, as we read our Bibles, and we, we look at passages like this, that's not where God wants us. Living in a comfort zone for too long means that we begin to do things in our own strength and our own works. And that's what they were doing in Babel as well. They began to work their way. And it's comfort. We've been, we've been comfortable. And um, too comfortable. And we rely on God less and less. And there's another danger sign. God is telling us to leave our comfort zone and step out in faith. Now, that does not mean throwing everything out and, and going full on, all in. This means learning who God is and doing whatever is In, in your power to give up to God. God doesn't ask us just blind faith. He asks us to take steps, and we begin this in small steps. We don't go from here to there in one step. And that's why we have to learn little ways of trusting God, stepping out in faith in small ways, doing something maybe that would scare us, because if we never do, if we never do stretch ourselves, we never grow. And you're going to be the same place 10 years from now doing nothing. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now this go 
it could mean something grand. It could mean that some of us will go into different countries or into different situations. But it, it could mean just speaking to someone you know about Jesus. What Jesus has done in my life. That, that could be something as simple as that. In fact, that would be a good start because that, it, that terrifies most people to say something about Jesus. But that's how we learn to grow. God will fill in the blanks. God, it doesn't matter what you say. God is the one who changes hearts. But he asks us to step out and do something. Not just to be, it's like there was a book a while back, it said, not a fan. And most, uh, what he means by fan is it's people in the stadiums are fans. And there's a few people on the field that are doing, everybody's watching them. He doesn't want us to be a fan. He wants us to be down on the field doing things. The world right now has a hunger. They're hungering for leadership. They're hungering, like Jesus said, you're, 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 they're about the people in his day, they're, they're sheep without a shepherd. And that's the world today. The, the world today is a sheep. We're sheep without a shepherd. <clears throat> and don't go to the wrong shepherd who is not a shepherd at all, but is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Go to Christ. Christ is the good shepherd. This world is hungering for the truths of the gospel. And that would be my message to you, is to, is to give the world the truth. Give the world the gospel. However that may look. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you for the power that you give us. It's not our power. It really isn't. It's nothing to do with us. Like, we, like it says in James, that all good things come from above. All perfect things come from above, from the Father of lights. And if we ask... Lord, if we just ask the Father of lights, we, if we ask you for strength, like you said in Matthew 28, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, even to the end of the earth. Jesus is with us always, and we can always rely on him. And I just pray that, Lord, today that we may just... Just think that maybe I need to maybe I need to step out in faith. Maybe I need to do something. Maybe I need to talk to my friend about Jesus. Because he may need to hear it very bad, or she may need to hear it very bad. And again, we just thank you for just times when we can come before you and just learn about you and learn about what you want us to do as we open your word and we learn about the God of the Bible, the perfect God. 
Again, we just thank you so much for this time, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.